Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 115 of Impact Boom. My name is Rachel Stevens. I'm a contributing editor at Impact Boom, and I'm passionate about meeting and working with others who share our mutual drive for creating positive social impact. Today, we'll be speaking with Camilla Marcus Dew. Camilla founded The Soap Co. in 2015 as her first consumer-facing social enterprise endeavor with big plans to make products that people love. The driving force behind this is her aim to simultaneously reduce the barriers to work for people with disabilities and improve awareness of positive consumer purchasing for social and environmental good. Having worked for five years as a management consultant for global brands such as Disney, Vodafone and Lloyd's Banking Group, as well as sustainability for Bon Sucre, Camilla was often drawn towards entrepreneurship projects in Asia and Africa, researching women's empowerment and entrepreneurship for voluntary service overseas and livelihoods programs for disabled youth in India, but was also curious to the barriers people faced at home in the UK. Coming from a close family with several disabled relatives has sparked an energy to support everyone who wants to work to have the employment and training opportunities that she has had, irrespective of their barriers. Camilla is also an avid environmentalist with aims to bring eco-products to the market that carefully consider ingredients, packaging, crafting methods, and what happens when they're all used up. Camilla has lent on a vast network of market-leading experts, including award-winning designers, the industry's foremost innovators in fragrance and formulation experts, to bring this new brand to the market. Camilla has recently completed the On Purpose London Fellowship Program, and her attention has shifted to the meeting point of charity and business, where trading social enterprises come with world-renowned brands to bring consumers something bold and honest. Camilla is the head of Commercial for Clarity and the Soap Co., covering hospitality, retail, corporate and consumer marketing segments. The Soap Co. is a brand within Clarity, Employment for Blind People, and a charity founded in 1854. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Camilla's personal journey with the Soap Co. and talk about the exciting impact being created there. We'll look at how important branding can be to communicate a message and give an organization the right platform on which to create impact. And Camilla will share her thoughts on the future of social enterprise and what can be done to drive the sector forward. Camilla, thanks so much for joining us. What an introduction. Thanks very much. (laughs) To get things started, could you share a bit about your background and what's led you down this path of social enterprise? Yeah, I think maybe the same as lots of people. You finish university and you go, wow, what am I good at? What am I going to enjoy? And it seems like such a a big path ahead that you have to, you just have to start, right? So I joined a management consulting firm, as I guess a lot of people do. Those people that have no idea when they come out of university what they're 
So that probably actually ended up setting me in a really good, a good foundation, right, for the future. And I enjoyed the five years there. I learned a lot, <laughs> learned a lot about PowerPoint and Excel and so, so much, but not really the things I cared about. And I think those five years were as much about what I didn't want to do with the rest of my career as, as learning skills to allow me to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, it sounds like a very important learning experience for you. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people make these mistakes, right? But I don't necessarily see it as a mistake. It's something that happened and um, will make positive out of it for sure. Sounds more just like stepping stones to the path you're on now. So Mm, not all bad. (laughs) You're, of course, the head of commercial at Clarity, which, as we mentioned, is a UK registered charity. First and foremost, it's a social enterprise employing, training, supporting people with disabilities, particularly those who are vision impaired. And they're working to create high quality toiletries, soaps and cleaning products. It's also the parent company of The Soap Co, of which you were the co-founder and launch manager of back in 2015. The Soap Co itself is an ethical luxury bath and beauty brand that makes products that are good and do good. For our listeners who might not be familiar with the work you guys are doing, could you tell us a bit more about what's going on at Clarity and at The Soap Co? Yeah, um, I think it often confuses people a little bit because we're part of a really, really old charity. So Clarity Employment for Blind People has been creating jobs for people with disabilities since 1854, the oldest social enterprise in England. We found a slightly older one in Scotland that's been making mattresses for, I think, 12 years longer than us. But, you know, Queen Victoria was our first patron. Winston Churchill regularly bought products from us. And over the time, we've made mattresses for Madonna and Tim Henman separately and also made sort of perfume for Sarah Jessica Parker and some really interesting things but we've been making soap for 80 years and it's only been very recently that that soap has been with our brand sort of out on retail shelves Um, and that's been a huge turning point for the charity. Some big names lots of support there for you guys so that's super exciting. Yeah, totally. But, you know, I think we're, we're talking a little bit about branding today and there is a really big difference between being a manufacturer of stuff for other people mm. and being a proud manufacturer of our own brands, telling a story and challenging and, and changing perceptions about people with disabilities by, by influencing the products they buy. And you do that with your own brands, but it's very difficult to do that when you manufacture for other people. And that's been learning for lots of, of the staff over the last few years. Yeah, Absolutely. How did you find yourself become so involved in cosmetics and what inspired you to be involved with the launch of the Soap Co? I'm probably not the only person that has questioned that long list of ingredients on the back of a product and gone, I don't even know what that is. And I studied chemistry and let me Google that one. Wow, I'm not sure if that's safe. And I I think this is something that more and more people are doing and people want to know where things are made and what's in them. And so from a personal perspective, I started doing that a long time ago. And um, I'm sure some of your listeners as well would have done these crazy things where they try and stop using shampoo for a while and try using (laughs) baking soda and eggs and rye flour and god knows what else that you can use to wash your hair but yeah look I've been on this journey for a long time and you start really questioning everything in something you know is that color needed what does that ingredient do and that's a really interesting journey of of discovery as well and I want to be part of that transparency I want to be able to say yeah this is what this is for and there's a reason for everything and so that got me interested in it I think I've always wanted to analyze what's in things and what they're for so it's been a, a nice meeting of a few passions of mine I think there's so many people like you said who have tried all those different alternatives or have you know been standing (laughs) in the supermarket with an app they've downloaded on their phone trying to link up all the different products and 
you know, really exciting for people to just have a product that has that transparency so they don't have to put all that work in themselves. Oh, my so. God. Yeah, look, shopping's really tiring. It, I don't do it that much anymore because it just takes up so <laughs> much time when you're really trying to do the right thing. It's an absolute minefield, and where there's an advantage somewhere, maybe there's a disadvantage somewhere else. And so for us to just say, hey, here's a transparent brand, um, we will say what we're not good at, and we're going to say all the stuff we're really awesome at. Um, and that just makes it really easy for consumers, and that's what we want to do, just a really super easy purchasing decision. The branding, of course, has been a big part of the SoapCo success and a part of your own journey as well. What gave you the idea to kind of start the SoapCo and, and, and roll with this branding? I think there's a huge gap in the market, and I hope you you agree with that, that there's there's a lot of brands out there, let's call them like charity brands, right? And they're just like, oh, buy from us, we're a charity, you're doing good things. And then some really beautiful sort of commercial brands, and you go, wait, but where does the money go? And it just was so obvious to me that something was necessary in the middle. And I personally believe that the luxury segment has the biggest responsibility for, for being transparent and driving that change, because that's where, honestly, there is a bit of a profit margin. If you're selling a product for 99 pence it's really difficult to do anything well, I mean it's, it's impossible for us to even make a product for 99 pence but it makes it easier when you start really thinking about your ingredients you go okay we can sell something to this demographic and we can really think carefully about every ingredient that goes in it and, and every bit of the design and that's where it starts getting really exciting. Was it this that drew you towards establishing a brand specifically for the luxury segment? Yeah, I think so. I think social enterprise is beginning to infiltrate the luxury segment. Bellu Water might be a good example that, you know, it's in like five star restaurants and um, sorry, Michelin star restaurants and stuff. But they are a social enterprise water brand. Um, and there's a load of others as well, just really pushing that boundary of, of what's luxury, um, but also a social enterprise. So much so that often in places people will just go, oh, that's a beautiful bottle and they'll use it and not even think about it being a social enterprise. And that's the holy grail where we win customers because of the product and the look of the product and and how great the lotion is and whatever and and that's exciting when it takes them two or three times of use to turn it around and go oh wow this is something a lot more than just a product how are you guys setting yourself apart from other organizations in the market and, and what is it that you're doing differently as well Oh, wow. So, I mean, I may as well just be honest now and say the pump is something we've not solved yet. I'd love to solve the pump problem. In in any, like, soap, basically, the pump is the problem. Um, it's not doesn't tend to be recyclable and it, the market's beginning to shift and I hope that we can lead the way there as the market shifts rather than having to lag behind but in pretty much every other component we I think feel like we're ahead of the game so that's that's really good news um, so considering the labels and the material that the bottle is made from uh, all of these things have been really really carefully considered and that's what sets us apart I think as a brand that we we have the opportunity as a small brand to maybe tomorrow. So actually, let's change the material of that because um, we want to really push the eco-credentials even more. So like the bar soaps are wrapped in a biofilm made from wood pulp, and then they have a paper sleeve that's FSC recycled and recyclable. And, you know, the contents are all readily biodegradable and safe to aquatic systems. And that's like, that's what we're going for. We're going for no compromise and really not giving anyone a reason not to, to buy to buy it. So 
I think that sets us apart. Um, obviously, the the social part, we haven't really touched on that much yet. But where we really come into our own is the social impact that we create. I think a lot of products that are manufactured are are done at scale. Uh, maybe there's one person pressing on and one person maybe checking that it's coming off the line correctly. But apart from that, everything else would be done by machine. And we are so different here. Um, the majority of the Soapco products are totally handmade, um, hand mixed, hand cut, hand stamped just involving so many craftspeople in the process and that creates really meaningful valuable purposeful work and that is for 80 percent of our staff that have a disability or a long-term health condition and even in the other 20 percent there's a lot of people that have made a big career change or maybe that have struggled having been out of work for a long time maybe a work a mum that wants to return to work after a couple of years you know we're really passionate about just doing the right thing across the board or um, as much of it as possible and and, uh, and that's exciting. And so we want to open the doors and say, yeah, we're different here, here and here. And we love what some of these other brands are doing. We think they're doing an amazing job. And we're certainly not going around pointing the finger and saying we're better because you don't do this. But we're trying to really show a better path where we should be transparent and to have that sort of no compromise approach, which I think every luxury brand should be doing. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you said, it's really it's really quite different to the rest of the market, being able to have such a high quality blend of that luxury, of that social, of that sustainable. And like you said, again, no compromise across all of those fronts. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud to, to come to work every day. It's a great, I, I think, I honestly think I've got the best job in the world. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's not always the easiest job, but it's definitely something that challenges and tests me. And I think for a lot of people that work in, in corporate roles, um, maybe I thought, years ago that I wasn't very creative and as soon as you're given the opportunity or you take the opportunity to to show that creativity I think we're all capable of so so much and that's been a great point as well to realize what we're all capable of and I think when you're really stretched and you stretch yourself then that's where those tests really (laughs) really happen yeah definitely and I mean like you said there's a lot of challenges that comes with trying to balance all these elements for you personally what is it that drives you forward on this mission I mean, if you're asking about why I'm doing all this, I guess you alluded earlier to some of my some of my relatives, but specifically uh, my niece Aisha, who is happy to be to be named. But my niece Aisha, she's uh, nearly 20 and she's got cerebral palsy. She's I, I, we were really hoping maybe when she was sort of seven, eight, nine, we were pretty confident she was going to learn to walk and she was going to get there. And, and then the growth spurt that happens with all uh, sort of teenagers, and it was really difficult for her. And so she's she's really struggled to. To, to have that independence that I know she really, really wants. And she struggled. Um, the sort of the impacts of that as a teenager, of, of sort of seeing yourself as different and being told you're different, then sort of mental health conditions tend to sort of cascade in with physical disabilities often. And it's a really tricky, it's been a really tricky few years for her. But, you know, she's at the U- Open University doing a course, you know, st- studying, working really hard. And I, and I really hope that she knows that she will make a valuable contribution to work when she is ready 
and sort of mentally in the right place to do so. To be honest, her challenges have been a big motivator for me. I really want to prove to her that it's it's possible to have sort of agency, autonomy, purpose in life. And in many ways, I believe that that comes through work. Uh, it can obviously come through a number of other things. But almost when you meet someone on the street, the first question is like, oh, what's your name? It's like, hi, I'm Camilla. Second question, like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. It's just it always comes up, right? Yeah. And so... We should, you know, if you want something to say when that question comes up, I really want to help people have something to say. And so if, if you want to work, uh, you're able to work, you know, you should be offered the opportunity to work. And so that's what we're doing here. Yeah, fantastic. I can see, you know, being so close to home, why that's such a personal mission for you makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but, you know, she's one of there's over two million people of working age in the UK with a disability that are out of work. And I really believe that you know, almost all of those people want to work, but they're not given the opportunity to, and it affects confidence, and confidence is really the main barrier, and honestly, it's the same for a graduate, you know, you come out of, or someone that's changing career, you come out of uh, university, or you finish that job you didn't really enjoy, and you go, what's my value, like, where can I fit in, where can I contribute, and especially for women, it often comes up, and I think we're doing a lot to redress this difference at the moment, but this confidence gap we've got so much to do and yeah if we can help to build that confidence then the skills will show themselves but it's the confidence gap that is the biggest thing for us to to address and the way that that can impact you know cities communities individuals lives just on a whole spectrum like you touched on already like mental health issues but you know also in a broader sense like our economy and it's just it's such a big topic that we could kind of tackle so easily if we just changed our priorities a bit so it makes yeah makes good sense to me <laughs> so so much so we, we often have groups in to visit us at the factory and I love doing like a little half an hour workshop about um, social impact and really getting people after they've been on a factory tour and they've met you know Ricky or Kevin or or Janet and you say like what's the impact of the individual and you just allow people to to really reflect on what that impact is and then you say well what's the impact to their family and to their local community and and then you hear about the respite care and that you know sometimes their parents can just like go to the pub or hang out with their friends or whatever they want to do not as carers but as individuals and and then you think about society and that impact to society Um, and there's a lot of stats that go around you know for every one pound spent with a social enterprise like us it generates two sixty two pounds sixty six of financial impact within within the UK economy and it's so obvious as to where that comes from you know getting people up and working and motivated and confident has such a huge impact on the welfare system but you know primarily on the healthcare system um so much better sort of mental health and just you know really getting the economy going which um, i think is is incredibly important yeah absolutely so outside of clarity and the soapco now you've spent some time working in india uh, with eso and specifically working with women and entrepreneurship can you tell us a bit about your experience and your time there Oh, I mean, I was kind of blown away. Most of it was uh, in agriculture, working within the sugarcane industry. And I mean, I think I learned some really odd but useful stats, maybe. But um, sugarcane, I had no idea, but it's like the biggest crop by biomass in the world. So it's really heavy and has grown in a lot of places, is the general gist. And in India, it's grown pretty much everywhere. And in some parts of India, really poor parts, there's a huge reliance on manual workforces, um, especially of women, to to grow and to harvest that sugarcane. And so I 
I was I was looking at the impact of aid programs and how they were trying to address uh, training within agriculture um, and really more and more so targeting women with some of those programs because lots of these training courses are just basically set up for men and we don't realize it's this small inherent bias in how we design a training course like as an example if you were to run a five-day training course, if it was for a man, you might run it Monday to Friday. No women will turn up. They would much prefer five Saturdays in a row to do that same training course. And by the end of it, they're just as skilled, if not more, than the men that have attended. But it just needs to be organized in a different way to enable women. And I, I just will never forget, I think it was it was down in, in Tamil Nadu, and I was talking to about 20 women. They were like, <laughs> chatting away um, in Tamil, which I understood pretty much zilch of. <laughs> and, and I asked the question, like, can anyone drive a tractor? And the automatic response that came back from the interpreter was no, no women can drive tractors. That's not what women do in Indian culture. And then after a bit of back and forth, one woman put up her hand and said that she knew how to drive a tractor. And the laughter and the ripples of conversation through the room just like lit it up. And you could see this trigger, like almost like a domino effect of, of people's perceptions changing in that moment that women really could play that valuable role within agriculture, within business, by driving a tractor. And that was really exciting. And it doesn't take a lot to just get people to maybe reset those perceptions. So there were some really interesting parts and more and more so I do believe that we can solve many of the challenges within society through good business and that good business is is more than just oh I'm going to run a business and then give profits away um, it needs to be integral at every single step yeah absolutely and it's really you know it's so interesting to hear about one such small example like the women driving the tractors and the impact oh, yeah. that, that can have for for you it's something that stood out so clearly for you but no doubt the women in that community and in that life as well so that's always yeah. fun to hear about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It seems like you've had a really varied, you know, personal journey across commercial, not-for-profit and social enterprise sectors. No doubt these experiences have taught you a lot about the differences between these types of organisations. What advice would you give to someone who was looking to get involved in the world of social enterprise, making that switch perhaps? Oh, wow. I mean, the first thing would be to, to just do it. I think too many people are thinking a bit too much. And I mean, I certainly understand there is a very small subset of people that couldn't make that shift because of certain responsibilities. But most people, you know, they can make the shift and they can make it work. I took a huge drop in salary when I first left the corporate world. And I mean, it affected my life significantly, but you don't have to make it that drastic, right? You can move within your company from a commercial role into, let's say, a corporate sustainability role, or you can you can move and do and use your commercial skills like we are here. You can use those commercial skills, but do it within a social enterprise. It doesn't mean just dropping everything and going and working in an orphanage. You know, there's so many things in between that that you can do. And I really believe you can use those expert skills to help. What I've learned the most since I left the corporate world is that everyone wants to help. Maybe not everyone is ready to make a big jump and change their career, but you can help from within your organization. And we now have like 
dozens of companies that support us pro bono with videography, photography, legal services, design work, you know, like honestly, the list is endless. And especially from a PR perspective, you know, just helping us get the message out there. There's so many people that want to help and you can do that from within the company you're in right now. You can really become that internal sort of champion, the entrepreneur or whatever it might be called within your organization. But it's, um, it's an important thing to do. And you can decide that right now without changing really anything major in your life. You can just go to work tomorrow and and inquire with the right people to get something moving or do it yourself if no one if no one sort of is offering you that opportunity so there's a lot volunteering whatever but make that step make it really part of your day-to-day don't wait until you retire because god that's a long time away so nice to hear that there's so many different ways people can be involved and that maybe it is easier than it sounds at first so uh-huh. I think so. I really believe so. I think a lot of people want to do it and they're becoming more and more excited about it. And I mean, in the last year here at Clarity, within my team, someone's joined us that used to be uh, like marketing manager for Red Bull. And someone has joined us as well that used to be a buyer within supermarkets. And so, you know, they're taking the risk, they're jumping ship and coming over to us. And they're doing it because they really see a very strong and clear path to us building some great brands and putting them in front of every consumer in the UK. And then maybe we shouldn't just do the UK. Let's think a bit bigger, but one thing at a time. (laughs) Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> they seem quite big steps at the moment. I mean, yeah. every everyone in the UK uses soap, so it's not like other products where your market size is some like subset. For us, it's like 70 million people in their homes, in their offices, in their gyms, in the hotels they go to, in the restaurants they eat at. So um, we've picked probably the best product there can be for addressing the whole UK market. Definitely. It's pretty core to most people's lives, that's for sure. Totally. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, if I'm not wrong, today is Global Handwashing Day, but maybe by the time this gets on air, it might not be. But absolutely, <laughs> it's an important part to, to wash your hands and, and have good health and sanitation, that's for sure. <laughs> so on a different note, is there anything from a policy or governmental perspective that you can see would really support this future picture of social enterprise that you have? I mean, you may or may not be aware of the Social Value Act in the UK. Um, They tried to implement it a couple of years ago. And I think to varying degrees of success, it was mostly focused on services and not products. So there's a little bit of work to do to make sure that's extended and and amended. And I think a lot of that is in the pipeline. And I'm quite excited by, by what could happen from a legislative perspective to really encourage it. But really, I think what the government can do first and foremost is buy our products. And so a couple of government departments have already purchased products from us and others are um, are sort of in the pipeline to do so. And by doing that, they can really set a very good example to a corporate or to anyone else and say, you know, this is just a decision that makes sense. And they can support us through more transparent purchasing. And this isn't the soap co-products necessarily before some of your listeners get really confused about why the government's buying luxury soap. Um, but we actually... <laughs> We actually launched a new brand this year called Bico, standing for Better Considered. And that's just gone in on the shelves of supermarkets across the UK, which is super exciting. And it's a perfect product for those governments as well. So, you know, I do believe regulation does go a long way. And, and certainly within the benefits and welfare system for people with disabilities that have been cut just year on year, we've got a lot of work to do. And I think we have a responsibility as as a developed uh, economy to treat everyone with, with respect and fairness with, within our society. And 
we have more work to do there without this turning into a political discussion, which I'm really careful not to obviously show any of my allegiances. But um, we have a responsibility and I'm looking forward optimistically to a time when the government does more. But just in case they don't, let's plough forward with consumers and businesses and, you know, everyone making the, you know, the best decision they can about what products they put on their skin. And by doing so, they can help people with disabilities that way as well. Definitely. And I think your transparency as well that you guys are working on, you know, makes that consumer power and that purchasing power so much easier. So, yeah, yeah, I hope so. (laughs) I'm sure over the last few years, you would have had a lot of exposure to social impact work going on in the UK and no doubt all over the world. Are there any other projects or initiatives uh, aside from some of the ones you've already mentioned you'd like to share that you think are creating some exciting social impact? Oh, there's just so many, right? Uh, I really love hearing about what the social enterprises and the variety and, you know, just things as simple as like, let's say brew gooder. It's like drink beer, give water or something is their tagline. And it's just like, yeah, let's just all drink beer because we like drinking beer. But at the same time, we can do something good. Um, And that's just, you know, imagine if everything you bought was from a social enterprise because it really can be it can be the stuff you you know when you're getting posters printed or business cards it can be the coffee the chocolate the chutney vanity bags the handbags whatever shoes right it's just across every sector and uh, it's just the only gap really is the maybe uh, the venture capital money to like put us on a level playing field with some of the for-profit um, for-profit in someone's pocket brands and that's where it's really different and we need that extra helping hand from a from a sort of brand awareness perspective for people just to know we exist and if we can keep making those inroads then um, I'm sure more and more brands are going to make it to being the sort of favorites in everyone's house. Absolutely and to finish up are there any books related to anything we might have chatted about today that you think our listeners should check out? Oh my goodness, I wish I had enough time to read books. Um, and wait, that's so, that's so wrong because we can all make time for things. So I take that back. But um, I've actually just come back from holiday and I forced myself to read a few books, but none of them were social enterprise related. I was having a little break. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm not one for, for books within social enterprise. So I'm going to have to pass on that question if that's okay. Absolutely fine. Camilla, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been great from this end as well. And um, quite a few members of the team are big, big fans of Impact Boom. So I think they're eagerly waiting this podcast to come out and checking in on lots of the other ones. But um, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Rachel. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.